This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard. This episode is presented by the Azoya Group, a digital commerce enabler that partners with global beauty brands and retailers to expand their business to China. Hi, I'm Divya Gugnani, co-founder and CEO of Wander Beauty. We create fewer, better beauty essentials. And to me, it's a matter of determination. Building, scaling, and exiting. This is most entrepreneurs' dream. I'm Kelly Kovac, founder of Beauty Matter. For most entrepreneurs, it remains elusive. But there are others who have mastered this formula. It's never been easier to bring beauty products to market, but building a brand in today's hyper-competitive landscape, one that resonates with consumers, has never been more difficult. It requires creative and analytical thinking, but it also requires determination and passion to make an idea a business reality. Building a brand that scales is one thing, but building a brand that consumers love is something entirely different. Divya Gugnani, the CEO and co-founder of Wander Beauty, has nailed the entrepreneurial formula of launch, scale, exit, and repeat. So Divya, I'm so excited to have you on. I feel like we, well, when, in the time when we used to actually go to events, we we're always bumping into each other. We'd show up on the same panels, but this is the first time we've actually done something sort of with you and Beauty Matter. So I'm super excited because you have built a fantastic brand, but beyond that, you have a really interesting background um, and a really varied background because this is sort of your first venture into beauty. So I'd like to kind of back up to the beginning and talk a little bit about your background and how your path led you to co-found Wander Beauty. Okay, great. Well, I'm so excited to be here. So thank you for having me. Um, my career really started in finance, like the very dorky stuff, investment banking, Goldman Sachs, worked in private equity, and then venture capital. And I became really an accidental entrepreneur and started my first company in the auto parts space, second one in the culinary space, like you mentioned, very different things. Um, and then my third company was basically a tech company, but it had a little bit of a beauty element. We created um, subscription service for private label fashion accessories and also beauty. And I raised venture money for that and sold that to QVC. And it was while I was actually at QVC that I really learned a lot about the beauty industry and really got deep into beauty. So that was my learning ground, I would say. Um, and while there, I worked with a lot of incredible brands that had passionate founder stories and really accelerated growth. And I met so many beauty founders. And I think it really inspired me on my own journey because I was taking the subway one morning and I was on the F train from the Upper East Side to Midtown Manhattan to my office. And I just had, you know, I had two children within two years. I was exhausted to say the least, working full time. And I just was putting under eye concealer on and I was just like, I need to put this on because I need to look 25% better than when I left my house. And that's all I need. I'm like, I'm not looking for, I'm not going for glam. I'm looking for like not looking like I was awake all night. And so when I was putting on my makeup on the train, I looked around and I saw people putting on their mascara and putting on their SPF and doing their hair. And I, you know, go to the gym and now I'm, you know, biking outside more than going to the gym. But when I used to go to the gym, I used to always do my skincare routine at the gym. And I just realized that I was living my life in motion and there was no brand that was giving me beauty in motion and making my life easier. And so when I looked out around at my friends and I looked around at, you know, a lot of other people I knew, and it was like, we're all time starved, busy, and active. You are, I am, you're going on the go. We were running into each other at events all the time. You're speaking on panels, like, but there's no brand that's making us be gorgeous on the go. And that to me is what was missing. And that's what really inspired me to create Wander Beauty. You know, you say that you were an accidental entrepreneur, but you've had sort of three other entrepreneurial ventures. And, you know, 
you're not certainly not the first one who's gone from sort of finance into entrepreneurial ranks, but sometimes it do- that experience doesn't always translate because Correct. a lot of brands are intrigued by the finance world because they need it or want it. But, you know, there is sort of an analytical detachment um, in relation to ship to brands that it doesn't always translate when when sort of people from finance decide they want to become entrepreneurs. But it clearly did for you. So, but what do you think that sort of experience um, on the finance side, did it, how has it helped, I guess, so, in your ventures? Because I'm sure it did. Yeah, I think what you said is actually 100% of what I agree with. So I think so many people actually manufacture brands. I feel like they say, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur because I think that's a cool and sexy thing to do. I want to raise money because I want the article in Beauty Matter and in TechCrunch and everywhere else. And I want everyone talking about me in the industry. And I want to have a brand and like, I'll just hire people to do it and I'll just do it. So I'm the exact opposite. This brand, this business came out of a personal pain point, a personal problem, my own life. I met my co-founder, Lindsay. She was going through the same things for totally different reasons. It validated what I was thinking because, you know, here's a supermodel who's planes, trains, and automobiles, who's, you know, getting ready in every random airport, train, plane, Uber all the time and felt the pain points that I was feeling as a working mom, which is a totally different life. And so I think that, you know, my finance background, it, listen, I'm not discounting it. Don't, don't get me wrong. I think it was great to learn finance skills. I think it was great for me to you know, develop those skills and have operational guidance. But ultimately, brands are created out of passion. Brands are created out of personal pain points. Brands are created so that you can create value for a community and customers. And so my lens has always been that. My true north, my compass is serve the customer, always serve the customer, think, obsess about the customer. Before we even created this brand, we surveyed 100 women and we did focus groups and we surveyed women from 18 to 72 across the United States and we asked them what their pain points were in their beauty routine. I say always, you know, my mom says, you were born with two ears and one mouth, listen and speak in that proportion. So if you're going to be a brand founder, I think you have to be a listener, you have to be a problem solver and you have to have passion for what you're doing. That's the DNA of a founder to me. It's not that, oh, I worked in finance and so I have, I know how to manage money. I know how to work numbers. And so I should create a brand. Yeah. I'll just hire a lot of people around there to figure all the other stuff out. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can't just, you especially sort of, I think at the inception of a brand, you can't just throw money at problems. <laughs> it never works because the problems, it end up is like, it's like a bandaid rather than a solution. So, and I think it actually masks product market fit. So what I think is really interesting is that when we started our brand, there was product market fit immediately. We created one product. We created the On The Glow Blush and Illuminator, and we launched that and we sold six figures of it within six weeks. And so we created one product that really allowed women to understand how to be gorgeous on the go because it replaced four products in her bag. It was like your lipstick, it was your blush, it was your cream eyeshadow, it was your highlighter, all in one. So our brand was all about being gorgeous on the go and giving you fewer, better beauty essentials. This was fewer, better. It's going to replace everything in your bag. So for us, when we think about that lens of like, it has to do something for you, it has to create something for you, that organic fit and that messaging worked with the consumer and people bought the product. What I think happens in the finance world and people who were come from finance and raise money is that they launch a brand and then they spend millions of dollars in marketing and that brand awareness that they create through out-of-home advertising, billboards, subways, Instagram ads, YouTube, paying influencers, it doesn't create the natural product market fit. It creates, I feel like I have to buy this because I've seen it 80 times everywhere I'm looking. And so you buy it once and you buy it for the marketing, but you don't come back and buy it again and have an authentic love of the product because you bought it because of the hype. So when you think about a brand and what I'm so excited about is like when I think about our brand, we have such a high retention rate and such a high repeat purchase rate because we're authentically creating value in a consumer's life. We're not just, not just pouring money into marketing to make her think that she needs it. Yeah. No, because you're, you know, it, it is, I, I honestly think like you just have kind of entrepreneurship in your DNA because you also have sort of a very 
traditional educational background. You went to undergrad at Cornell and you received an MBA from Harvard. And, you know, running a brand is very different than a Harvard case study as well. (laughs) That H word, we don't use that H word in our house. (laughs) But, you know, I I wanted to talk to you about something slightly different about your background because, you know, something is happening now during the pandemic that's put sort of traditional higher education and and the system we have in our country under a microscope. Like, I mean, let's face it, it costs a small fortune to put a child through college, let alone an Ivy League college. And many people are questioning the real value now because everything is either hybrid or they're going back for how long, we don't know. You know, is it worth the money if it is completely virtual? You know, I'd love to get your opinion kind of coming out of, of that system, um, your perspective on how your education helped you along your career path and kind of beyond being just super impressive on a LinkedIn profile or a CV. So I believe genuinely that when I think about our society as a whole, when I think about my children and when I think about my own personal experience, I genuinely believe that education is super important. I really do. It's something that I feel core is like in my DNA. I believe you have to educate yourself. Do I believe you have to go to a four-year college to do that? I think that is really being called into question right now. I believe education can come in many forms. It comes from work experience. It comes from reading books. It comes from attending lectures. It it comes from networking with people. I'm getting educated every single day. Education is in my DNA. When we talk about the values at Wander Beauty and we give an offer letter to a new employee, it says, we believe in teamwork, respect, integrity, and learning. And the learning piece is such a core part of our DNA. Everyone is learning every day in our organization. So I believe in learning. I believe that the education system in the United States is broken and it is too expensive for people to go to college, hence they decide not to go to college. It is too expensive for people to go to private universities, so they don't go to private universities for that reason. And the educational system here is broken. It is just the the cost of education is deterring people from getting that education. Further, the value they're seeing in that education is deteriorating because we are not keeping up with the technology advancements that so many other countries are. And that's a tragedy that I feel upset about. Um, And then the third piece to that is really that 15 plus companies, I'm sure you've seen this in the press, have now taken off this requirement to have a four-year degree. So Google, Apple, so many other companies have said like, you don't need to go to college for four years to work here. And so people are not going to college for four years to get those jobs that they aspire to get. And so I'm really in the camp of educate yourself in the way that you respond to education. So I personally went to, got three degrees. So I went to undergrad, I went to culinary school, and I got a master's. Um, If I were to do it all over again, would I do it? That's a very big question for me. I was able to have parents who were very gracious in giving me that undergrad education and then every bit of school thereafter. I worked. I worked. I paid for that education. It came out of my own pocket. Um, And it was painful. And I know that experience firsthand because I went through it. And so I feel the pain of so many people who are making that hard decision right now. But I do believe at the root of it, we must educate ourselves in any way, shape, or form that we feel is best for our personal and financial situation. And what about sort of, I guess, the network effect, right? Because there is sort of a very... especially sort of in Ivy League schools. My brother went to the Naval Academy. It's the same thing there where sort of, you know, by virtue of the fact of having gone to um, that institution, there's a connection that goes and and can be leveraged in business. Um, Do you think that can be created virtually? I do think so. I will be honest with you. I do believe that we live in a new age where there are virtual organizations. There's so many networking opportunities. There's so many great angel groups. And, um, you know, there's organizations like Chief for professional women. And there's Hey Mama for, for moms. There's so many amazing networks out there across different interest groups and different sectors that I genuinely believe that you can build a very strong network if you just choose to. And I will be up front with you, you called something out in my background of like, hey, this is your first real beauty company. And you're right. How did I figure it out? I didn't know anything, right? I went on LinkedIn and I reached out to people and I said, hey, I would love to talk to you. These are my questions. And I'm not like, hey, I want to pick your brain because I think that's useless email to send anyone. No one wants the brain picked. 
So I always say like, hey, I have a really important, like these are my questions about this. You seem like you're an expert in it. Do you have 15 minutes of your time to talk to me about it? And I was very hungry to learn and I think you need that hunger. And I really just linked in people. So was my Harvard network helpful in creating this beauty business? Like quite frankly, not so much. I think I've met a lot of people going to school there and built long lasting friendships. And I think in many facets of my life, those, that network and that relationship has, those relationships have been powerful, but in building Wander Beauty, ultimately I was learning in industry. And so I was starting from scratch. And I really believe that my persistence and perseverance of being a student of the industry and reaching out to people and building those connections was what helped me the most. And anyone can do that. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, I get, I get LinkedIn. I'm sure you get the requests all the time too. Um, and I'm always happy to take time and answer questions if I can. Me too. Um, I think Every it's Friday like, I do it. I, it's like give back Friday. Every yeah. Friday I put time on my calendar where young entrepreneurs, new entrepreneurs, people who are seasoned who have questions about people and hiring and recruiting. And I'm, I'm there for them because people were there for me. Yeah. No, I, I agree. You know, I also think, you know, this isn't your first entrepreneurial venture. So you had one in auto parts, as you said, another that was sort of um, culinary in nature and then sort of accessories and beauty that you you um, had an exit to QVC. You know, how did those other ventures kind of inform Wander? Because I'm sure not everything was a success. And I'm, I, you know, I think, I think especially in the past few years, there's sort of like, I don't know, it's like an urban myth that it's easy to launch a beauty brand. (laughs) It is not. And I think it's all, there's also this idea that every entrepreneurial venture is successful and they're not. It's like a restaurant. (laughs) People are like, how many restaurants are successful? What is the, the failure rate of restaurants one year in is like over 50%. And then it accelerates, I think, to like the 90s within the five-year mark. So it's just like the odds are actually stacked against you, not in your favor. And the reality is that you have to be different, better, and innovate to succeed. And so I could not agree with you more. I really believe that it's very challenging. It's very difficult. And those prior ventures actually taught me a lot. So my first company was a huge success. It scaled dramatically. Our first month of sales, I believe we did like $3,000. You could not imagine the joy and elation on my face when I was like, I made $3,000 doing this nights and weekends on a side hustle. Like, this is amazing. I was so excited about the $3,000. It was like, I was thrilled. And then we started doing hundred grand a month within a few months. And it was like, our margins were amazing in auto parts because the the parts actually don't cost that much and the, the price that you sell them from is a lot higher. So that business was a real success. And I think that I almost wish that it didn't work that way. So I had this great success and I thought everything was easy. And then when I built my second business, it was just impossible. It was like, I felt like I was against a brick wall every day. We had an advertising model. One day the phone would ring, we'd get a six figure check. And then the phone wouldn't ring for six weeks. So I suffered through not having the right business model, not having the right revenue model, you know, having difficulties in hiring. I hired some senior people were like, you need senior people. You need leadership. I hired some senior people who didn't deliver because they didn't have the kind of mindset to work in a startup, which is really a mindset to hustle, to, you know, wear five hats. It's a different mindset than working in corporate America. So I made so many mistakes that I feel like I learned from the hiring mistakes I made. The, I, I wasted money. I like invested in things I shouldn't have. And so by the time I got to Wander, I feel like having three entrepreneurial experiences, two of them very successful and one of them you know, profitable but didn't scale, I had made a lot of mistakes, had learned a lot, and I was able to do this brand better, faster, cheaper because I had the experience of going through it three times prior to this. You know, when you launched Wander in 2014, it was the way you launched it was sort of unconventional. You mentioned the fact that you launched with one product. So now hero so now hero products are like the way to launch, but back then it was not. No. Because you would have been told, well, but if you go to retail, you're never going to sell enough. There's nowhere to merchandise it, yada yada yada. So you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what happened to me. I had the idea with Lindsay in 2014. We launched in 2015. 
We made one product, the On the Glow Blush and Illuminator, which by the way has won an Allure Best of Beauty Award as a hero product, and it was the first thing we ever launched. Every retailer told us they would not take it. They're like, where's the collection? But X brand is launching with 60 SKUs, and Y brand is launching with 80 SKUs. And in order for us to put you in retail, you need 80 SKUs or 60 SKUs. I was like, I'm fewer, better beauty essentials. My whole point is that you don't need a lot of stuff. Let me tell the story with one thing that makes sense. Let me actually see as an entrepreneur if I have a brand. Does this make sense? Do customers want to buy it? Why am I going to launch 60 things so I can fail at 60 things? I'd rather launch one thing and say, am I going to succeed or fail on one thing? So nobody understood it. And I, and I had to kind of pave that way. And so you launched D2C and on mm-hmm. QVC with the one product. Yep. And was that, was that a, as a reaction to the fact that you couldn't open a retail door or, or did you decide to launch that way? Like in which I decided to come? launch that way. But okay. I, after that, I, I decided to launch that way because in my gut and my DNA, I was trying this. I said, this brand makes sense for me. I've done data and research. It seems like it makes sense for a community of women. Let me make, I never formulated like a makeup product. I'd formulated some skincare when I was at QVC, but I never formulated a makeup product. Lindsay and I worked on the lab for, we wanted to get it right. We worked over a year to get that product to where we wanted it to be. The packaging, the branding, everything. We invested the time. We lo- we wanted to tell the story with one multitasker. So we chose to do that. We chose the format of QVC because the product needed explanation. You need to just say and talk and explain and demo and show how it worked. And so we made those decisions right after I launched on QVC, you know, the two specialty retailers that everyone thinks of reached out to us. And so one of them wanted to launch us right away. And I was like, I have no product to give you. I have one thing. And so that was the conversation. And then we had a few other conversations and, you know, we were lucky to have Netta Porte um, come back to us and say, okay, we're going to launch you because they were very forward thinking of building their new beauty category. And they said, okay, you're a hero. This is your hero. And this is the first product you launched with. We'll get behind that on .com, launch it in the U S then in the UK, then in Asia. And it's sold. And then we went into Sephora and kind of built the brand and were very curated about our assortment thereafter. But I never lost sight of what I believed our brand should be. And I didn't want to give in to do something that everyone else was doing. And how many SKUs is the brand today? We have about 47 active SKUs. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really across categories. So we say we're fewer, better beauty essentials, fewer because they're multitaskers, better because it's all clean beauty. We have the clean seal from Net Sustain, Net Aporte, from Birchbox and um, we are clean by our standards, which everyone has their own standards. Mm-hmm. Um, and then beauty essentials. We are servicing that modern woman who is time starved and on the go. And so we're giving her what she needs cross category so she could buy it on her iPhone in a minute and 30 seconds on Apple Pay. So we have Color Cosmetics, which we first launched with. We built an amazing skincare business, which is growing, especially post-COVID, up mm-hmm. 38% and growing. Um, and we have two select uh, SKUs in hair and body, and we'll be building that assortment. So we really want you to come to one destination, just like you come to Amazon Prime to get a lot of different things that you need yeah. in your personal life, in your home. Um, we want us, we want wanderbeauty.com to be that destination for you. And even though you have sort of expanded in sort of traditional brick and mortar retail and online, D2C sort of remained really important to you. Always. And that was the core DNA of what I was telling you about the story of the brand. If you're going to create a brand for the people, you need to speak to the people and have a direct relationship with them. So our whole brand is community driven. Every single multitasker that you see from us is socially co-created. So we work with people in our community to create the formula, the packaging, the delivery system, the ingredients. 360 product development is done by focus groups, text message surveys, polls, Instagram feedback. Every day we're building that connection and the D2C business is the gateway to do that effectively. Well, you know, it's another thing that I find really interesting is, you know, I get approached by a lot of tech platforms and I know that you're always testing out new platforms. Yes. <laughs> always. Always. I'm always on the <laughs> test list. They're like, oh, this new tech platform, the Wander Beauty is doing a pilot with them. Because I'm, I love, listen, we have a philosophy at work, test, learn, iterate, build. That's what everyone on every team does. Our product development team is testing, learning, iterating, and building. Our e-commerce team is doing the same thing. 
China is the world's second largest consumer beauty market in the world. It's dynamic, nuanced, and wildly sophisticated. And no one can question the growth opportunity. This podcast is sponsored by Azoya Group, a digital commerce enabler that partners with global beauty brands and retailers to expand their business to China. Azoya has worked with top cosmetic companies such as Feel Unique and Pixie to expand on channels such as Tmall and WeChat and is responsible for everything from e-commerce operations to digital marketing, managed logistics, IT integration, and customer service. If you're interested in entering the China retail market, check out Azoya's website, azoyagroup.com. That's A-Z-O-Y-A-G-R-O-U-P dot com. I don't want to jump to sort of COVID yet because yeah. that's sort of a whole other conversation. But I do think that brands that focused on D to C, uh, either had a focus on D to C or had very strong communities or had very strong sort of tech and infrastructure definitely um, have weathered this storm a bit better. Can you talk about the technology? Because it's one of those things where I think people kind of either are afraid to integrate it because it seems too complicated or on the other side, they have a marketing stack of like a hundred different tech platforms. So we've actually streamlined ours and we test, like, like I mentioned, we test everything, but then we only move forward with things that are core to our mission and make our business easier or make the customer experience better. So on a tech side, I would say we're pretty savvy. We were one of the first brands to launch beauty brands to launch Apple pay. Um, very early adopters, and it has been, you know, makes sense for us. Obviously, we have PayPal because you have to understand our demo is this woman who's a professional woman, or you know, is you know, running around, or she's a stay-at-home mom, and she doesn't, she's time-starved and shopping on her iPhone at 9 p.m. with a glass of Chardonnay. And so, for me, that would be Cabernet. But um, <laughs> you know, the thing is that we really need to think about how she shops, and we need to create a better experience for her. So we have been very thoughtful about what that looks like. So payment gateway is important. PDP page is the most important. We have a lot of technology interfaces that are happening right now on the product development page. If you are not going to a Sephora to buy our product because we have limited distribution in store, that was a you know concerted choice, you are buying it on our .com. So I have to deliver the same experience of you feeling like you went into the store, you touched it, you felt it, you held the packaging, and you made the purchasing decision. So that onus is on me. So I'm creating tons of video content. I have an in-house studio. We're leveraging tons of technology and tools to make, make that process efficient. Then we're delivering experiences with across ethnicities, across different skin tones, so people can understand what's the coverage, what's the payoff, what are the ingredients? What are they going to do for my skin? I have to educate and I have to entertain all at the same time. And I have to give you all the touch points you need to convert to purchase. And so we do that very strongly. When I think about our web traffic, we're not looking at a lot of top of funnel, drive, drive, drive marketing dollars to top, top funnel. We're getting a lot of organic traffic and a vast majority right now of what we're achieving and built in our e-commerce business is not through paid advertising. It's not through paid media. It's all email, word of mouth, all of this other, and it's very high conversion rate. So industry average e-commerce conversion rates are about one to two and a half ish percent. Um, and we're kind of at double that at this moment, which is and big. That, I mean, that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, last year you also did a pop-up on the Upper East Side, which the Upper East Side is not sort of the go-to space for pop-ups. hundred um, percent. And that was a choice, by the way. I'm, I'm sure it was. Um, I think everything you do is sort of a very deliberate choice. You know, I don't know what plans you had for pop-ups, but, you know, brick-and-mortar retail is... I guess, kind of on hold at the moment. Um, but what did you learn from the pop-up? Like, why did you decide to do it? And, you know, what was the kind of, the, I guess, the goal for the, the experiment? So the biggest thing for us is that we wanted to have a fig physical touch point to, to build that connection with our community. We had lots of digital touch points, text message, customer service phone calls, emails, so much digital communication with our customer, Instagram, DMs, all of this other stuff. We wanted an inhuman space where we could meet 
the members of our community and create a safe space for them to engage with us, to, for them to brainstorm on product with us, for them to touch and feel, for them to get educated. And we offered tons of free classes and that was the DNA of our strategy. We said, this space is to build connection with our community in real life. And by the way, we are gonna lead with education. So yes, we're gonna entertain and have tons of events and parties and there was lots of wine and there was lots of cheese and lots of bagels. Um, but beyond that, there was a lot of education. We had classes every single day of the week. So that's what I really want to achieve with that space. You know, I, th I feel like, you know, so much has happened in the beauty space in the last six years from when you launched to now COVID and yeah. now post COVID it's changing again. But just, you know, before we even get to COVID, like what do you think was the biggest change in the beauty industry in the past six years? The way people discover product. I think this, so discovery and trial when I grew up and I'm going to date myself was I remember begging my father to take me to Bendel's to buy Mac concealer because I had to have MAC concealer when I was in high school. And I don't know about you, but it was like, I had to have the MAC concealer. I was gifted the beautiful dark eye circles genetically from my family, <laughs> and I had to do something about it. And so I didn't want to, you know, my mom was like, you can go to CVS. And like, she didn't want me to do that anyway. But, um, but I begged my father to take me. And the reason I begged him to take me to get that under eye concealer is because every magazine that I picked up had ads. Every time I watched TV, I saw ads. Like I was inundated with this need to have the MAC concealer because there was so much marketing behind it. And there was so much traditional forms of discovery through print media and traditional media. And the discovery process has been totally changed because department stores were that destination. Just like I mentioned, Bendel's, you went to the department store, you had the consultation. That was a personal one-on-one -on -one service. They matched you the NC-16 shade. And you're like, this is me. I'm good. Now I've felt satisfied by this beauty process. Now that completely shifted with the rise of specialty retail and the rise of Ulta and of Sephora. They changed the cell environment to be open cell. And open cell meant you could go and browse on your own and touch and feel and discover beauty that was uniquely suited for you. So that discovery process was like the next generation of what I call beauty discovery. First is department stores through traditional media. Then there was kind of more traditional media, but still the discovery was happening in physical retail, but moved to specialty retail stores from department stores. And then it just became digital. And so discovery is now happening. YouTube is the number one place where people are discovering new beauty. Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Reels on Instagram now. Discovery has fundamentally shifted. People are discovering digitally. They're buying. They're buying through subscription boxes. They're discovering through subscription boxes. The world has changed. And there have been so many shifts in discovery. And by the way, discovery is deeply connected to trial. You went to a department store, you got a sample, and you tried it, and then you came back and you bought it. You went to Sephora and you bought samples, and you got samples because the cast would make you a sample. You went to Kiehl's, they would make you a sample. Now it's like you join a subscription box, you get a sample at home. So that is really changing. And now with D2C on our site itself, if you're buying right now on wanderbeauty.com, you're getting an incredible packet with a really good size fill for um, our drift away cleanser and our dive in moisturizer. So every order is getting samples. And so discovery and trial are now happening online and digitally in a yeah. way that has never happened before. Yeah. You know, so, you know, let's tackle the big question. <laughs> so can you give us a little business update? Because, you know, the, f the past five to six months have fundamentally changed things on so many levels. I mean, in the U.S., we're not only dealing with a health crisis, but a cultural and economic crisis, a cultural and economic crisis. And, you know, as a New York-based business, you had to deal with the reality of COVID sort of early, um, can you share a bit about how you and your team have kind of have navigated this time? You know, like what did you do on a very tactical level and, you know, what are, what were the surprises? What have been the challenges and, you know, what do you think the rest of the year is going to bring? The only constant during this process has been change. It's constantly yeah. changing. So I think that I've been on my toes. My team has been on their toes in terms of thinking ahead. So first and foremost, obviously, health crisis turned into humanitarian crisis, turned into economic crisis. And I think 
our core as a group and as a team was that we're not going to sit on the sidelines and watch this happen. This is not a time for human being. This is a time for human doing. So I think the first thing we did is we said, as a beauty brand, we have a platform, we have connections with the community. How do we give back? And so when we launched our good to go essentials and hair and body early in the year, we actually just worked with 10 different hospitals um, to donate these and to get frontline workers, you know, our all-inclusive hair and body wash and our scenic root hair treatment. And we really just said, like, what can we do as a brand? Because we've got to use our platform to do good. Otherwise, what's the point of having a platform? That was my first reaction. My second reaction was like, oh, my God, what's going to happen to my business? And it was just, it was hard. It was this panic that was kind of deep inside me. And I'm going to be honest with you, like, I've never run a business through a pandemic. I have, you know, scaled companies, grown companies, sold companies, but I've never been through a pandemic. And when I get out on the other side, I'm going to be really thrilled. So this was just, you know, leadership under fire is what I call it. I think we had to prioritize what was most important, which is our team, their health and safety and our community. And we let everything else just not be a priority. We're like, I want to make sure my team is health and safe. Um, I want everyone to be remote. I want us to, you know, we moved to a rotational system even before there was a state mandate in place to be remote. Um, we really just wanted to make sure our community was okay. We were not launching new products. We were not selling people things. I know a lot of brands were, and they felt like it was the right thing to do. To me, it didn't feel right, so I didn't do it. Um, I changed our whole launch calendar. I decided that we had to be relevant. And so when I thought about new launches, we were actually supposed to have a full coverage product um, and complexion that was supposed to launch. And I was like, this makes no sense. I can't even in good conscience tell people to buy it because I myself am sitting home in my pajamas not wearing makeup. (laughs) So it's like, you know, put yourself in the shoes of your consumer and always think and listen and learn around you and let that be your guide. And so we launched Double Date, which is a really fun lip and cheek tint with a bomb. And it's actually been one of our most successful launches this, you know, this year. And we, the, the choices we made to be relevant to our consumer during this time and to support them in any way we could, um, I think that was those were good choices that we made. I think on the operational side, we really cut expenses. We slashed expenses. We were obviously spending money on things that we loved spending money on that we didn't necessarily need. And the pay and the livelihood of my team was the most important thing to protect their salaries and to be able to pay my people was more important to me than having great office amenities, given that we weren't even in an office. So it was a no-brainer to really cut expenses wherever we could and really make sure we prioritized all of our funds to pay our people. And we're lucky we're profitable. And, you know, that makes a big difference. We were able to survive and weather the storm. We have a strong digital business. We're not heavily in retail stores. We were not suffering the foot traffic declines that many other brands. So one of our retail partners told us that in the beauty space, on average, brands were about down between 30 and 40%. And that was holistically. That was including store and dot line online. So whether you were a brand that was heavily in stores and down a lot in stores, which people were down 50% plus, um, and you were making up for some of that with an increase in online traffic, net-net, you were still down a lot. And we're, we're po- up positive double digits um, and significant digits. And I don't want to jinx that or curse it in any way, but I'm lucky that we made a lot of decisions early in our business to invest in consumers directly and build that connection with the community digitally. Now everyone who used to sell in stores heavily is trying to reverse engineer that, come back and say, oh, I need to have a dot-com business now. Like it's not, It should never be an afterthought. It should be a priority if you really want to be connected to your consumers. Yeah. I mean, you know, now is no one has been through a pandemic before, but there are people, you know, I've run businesses through recessions you know, um, 9-11, yep, me hurricanes, too. <laughs> you know, so that, that, that I think does prepare for situations like this. Um, there are a lot of sort of very young entrepreneurs who this is kind of their first big crisis and it is a doozy. It is. Um, but I also think, you know, cause I've had lots of conversations with businesses and, you know, I also get the, the press releases that it's like, our business online is up a thousand percent. And it's like, okay, but where did it start? Like, you didn't have one. You didn't have one. Because, so I think that there's kind of these two narratives going on. 
Mm. One is real. Mm-hmm. And the other is sort of this pos- positioning. And it's, I think it's much more for the industry than anything else to say, hey, we're okay. Um, but, you know, I think when you kind of peel back the layers, I think the businesses that sort of had great leadership teams in place already or had experience um, and kind of had an operational backbone, culture, and like you said, community. I think even if they didn't have sort of a focus on D to C, that also kind of got them through because they intuitively knew where to focus. Um, And I think it's a real lesson um, for, I think it's a real lesson for young brands on what it really takes to build a business. Um, Because I think it has been much easier or it's perceived to been much easier in the past, you know, so many years. Because, yeah, you can throw up a website, you can put some stuff in a jar and you're in business. Um, But, you know, whether you can kind of come out the other side of this, I think is the real testament. I agree. And I think that it's like, You know, a lot of people can do what you and I talked about very early on in this episode, which was raise money, pour money into marketing, and get anyone to buy anything. You can do it. It's every, I've known tons of brands that have done it, but you won't be profitable, you won't scale, you won't get people to come back. And so, investing in that long term relationship with the community, that's where the investment should be. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I also, I think you are one of like the hardest working people in beauty because you're always everywhere. At least that's what your Instagram feed says. Uh-oh. <laughs> but no, seriously, like you, you never miss an industry event or an, or an opportunity to promote your brand. And yet you have like two kids and a husband. Yes. You know, I'd like to keep you... them. <laughs> exactly. But I also know that you have, cause you know, I've heard your your story before, but, you know, I also know that you have an interesting way of balancing it because you are always on, um, but yet you do, you are a mother and a, and a wife, but you've also instilled, like, I have a business and I work a lot. Yep. It's just who I am. And you can't change someone's, you know, core beliefs. And, you know, I, I think you can learn a lot of things along the way, but you know, I'm a hard worker. I've always been a hard worker. I worked very hard in high school to get the grades to get into college. I worked very hard in college to get the job at Goldman Sachs. I worked very hard at Goldman Sachs to be at the top of my class to get a job at private equity. And I worked hard for it. It didn't come to me naturally. I would love to tell you that I have a photographic memory and I could take every test well. That's absolutely not the story. I really believe that hard work has been the reason that a lot of good things have happened in my life. I've worked for them. I have genuine, and I'm not afraid to say that. And I'm not, you know, that is really just true about my experience. And others may not feel that way. Like I, you know, have a relative who just seems to get, do super well at everything with very little effort. And I think that's fantastic. That's not my story. Um, But my story really is about being persistent, being determined and really like being an entrepreneur over and over again, the biggest thing that you have to remind yourself is like the achievement that you're going to, the achievement really is just staying alive and it's just not quitting because it's so hard many steps of the way that you just feel like you want to quit. And I feel like the fact that I didn't quit, I just figured it out. I was like, every time there was a problem, every time I had a fallback, every time there was a misstep or an obstacle, I just put my head down and said, I'm going to work through this. And that determination to work is what, you know, got me on the other side. But, you know, there's so many people who are, there. everyone's always looking for that work-life balance. Like I, I, as a concept, I don't really even know what that is, but because when you love what you do, you're like, yeah. I don't know. I don't want to turn it off. Listen, I um, do, I do believe, in, I feel very strongly and I feel like, listen, I will say that when I first started my career, we used to wear no sleep as a badge. I work so hard as a badge. I don't believe that. And I don't believe the generations today that are in the workforce believe it either. And I'm 100% clear on that. So I just want to be clear about my personal choices. I choose to work hard because that's a personal choice. I don't have that expectation of the people around me. I believe that when they are present and they're engaged in work, they should give it their all. But I think that they need to work while they're working and they need to be off while they're being off. So we have a policy at work and you're going to laugh at this, but it's really, we really keep to it is that we only send emails during business hours. 
So everyone on Wanderer gets emails like between 9-ish, 15 to like 5-ish o'clock, a little past that. And that's when we, unless there's like something pressing and urgent and needs to be dealt with, we don't, or it's like an overseas issue, we really just don't veer from them. I don't send people messages. If they want to send me messages, that's fine. But I really try and engage with people when they're present and they're at work and they're at their desk or at their home office now. Um, that is when they're engaged in work. And when they're not at work, they should not be engaged in work. They should be engaged in self-care and being with their family. And I take that time for myself. So I lead by example. I have many hours a day where I'm just like in the evening with my kids, I put them to bed every night. So I'm not on my phone. You cannot reach me. You cannot call me and I'm not on email. And I choose to make those priorities. It's like, that's the only way my life works. Am I online at night working on stuff that I needed to catch up during the day that I couldn't do because my schedule had calls all day and I had 20 emails I need to think about and respond to and schedule for the next day to get delivered to people. That's how I choose to live. But that's a personal choice. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I think that we have kind of seen in this kind of venture-fueled startup um, ecosystem how kind of toxic and unhealthy it is because, like you said, it's sort of this idea of if you have a startup, you have to work 24-7. Not and at you have all. founders that are – being a founder can be very isolating and lonely. Yeah, but I also um, think that you have to create the culture. So I'll give you an example. Yeah. I – I worked as a startup founder before, and I've worked, obviously, I've invested in a ton of um, companies and a bunch in the beauty space as well. And this idea of, I, you know, I read Glassdoor reviews, and I see that so mm -hmm. many CEOs are like, at the office at eight, not giving their team dinner, people can't leave because they're waiting for the CEO to leave. Like, I'm the first person to leave our office every day when I'm in the office, because I go home to be there with my kids so they can eat dinner. That is a choice I make, and I'm very clear about it. And I don't expect anyone to stick around. And you can literally come to our office at six o'clock and it is empty. There's not a human being at Wander Beauty. And I'm not, I'm proud of that because I know that if there's anything that needs to get done, people know how to manage their own time. If they need to do a little work in the evening at night and that's, they need to catch up on stuff personally, they will make that choice and they will do it on their own time at home. There's no need for FaceTime. There's no need for people to be pulling in late nights. There's no need to keep people there eating dinner. Like, we just don't create that culture. We want entrepreneurship is a marathon, not a sprint. And I don't want to burn people out. Yeah. I mean, burnout is real. It's very um, real. And I, I've experienced it. I've been with people who have experienced it. And I really believe that there are a lot of things that you do in the early years and it's very intense and it's very hard. And as you scale and have more infrastructure and more people, you also have to take the time to really make sure that you have measured success and that you really take the steps to ensure the long-term viability of everyone's mental health. It's very no, important. I, no, I 100% I agree. I mean, you know, I think one of the, you know, for, I guess I have kind of been an entrepreneur since I left Bliss in, in some way, shape or form um, with one pit stop at, with a real job. But, um, you know, the one thing that I loved was I, yes, I work a lot, but I also work on, on my own time. Of course. So if I want to take the day off because my husband has the day off and spend it with him, then I'll work at night and not during the day. Totally. So, you know, I also think when, and, and not every business obviously has the ability to do that, but, you know, I think, I think one thing that COVID has taught us is that people don't have to work nine to five in an office to keep a business running. Right. I, I think so. And I think that long-term mental health and satisfaction and, you know, whether you need to take the walk or you need to go outside, like, it's just like everyone needs what's going to keep them going long-term. You can't think about the short-term. And I really believe, I was just thinking and talking um, um, to some senior leaders on our team and the kind of team leads, like, we have been so, I've been so proud of how we've tr handled this transition to remote because when you hire people you trust, that you believe in, that are there for the success and investment in the brand, it doesn't matter where you're working from. So it's just like, yes, you, it's a little hard. I, I do miss the connectivity of seeing people and talking to them and having the informal conversations that make so much of work enjoyable. But given that we can't do that because of what's going on in the world, I think we're making the best of it um, by being remote and doing a lot of videos and staying connected that way. Yeah, yeah. So I've loved our conversation. 
Um, you know, it's uh, one of the reasons we decided to do the podcast was, you know, it was really to take the opportunity uh, to bring like those conversations that I have with people over cocktails or lunch or whatever, and really tell the story of, you know, really interesting people in, in the beauty industry kind of in a, in a different way and through a different lens. But in closing, I have one last question for you. Yeah. Um, if you had one piece of advice um, or one thing that you think could transform someone's business, um, what would it be? I genuinely believe that you have to listen a lot and you really have to take in suggestions and input from everybody. And ultimately, you have to synthesize all of that input and really follow your deep intuition. So just like I gave you the example of all these retailers were telling me, like, you need a collection, you need 60 SKUs, you need 80 SKUs. I listened. Don't get me wrong. I heard all of that feedback and considered it very deeply. And then my true intuition told me, build the brand slowly and steadily for the long term and don't launch a ton of crap. Launch one thing that actually works and is really amazing and tells the story of your brand. And so that really for me is that listen, learn, evaluate, and then trust your intuition. Well, Divya, thank you so much for taking the time and getting dressed to do this. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm going to do the same thing. <laughs> out of pajamas at noon? Who, who am I? Who am I? I know, right? And hopefully it, we'll bump into each other in real life at some point. When, I would really uh, love to. I know. I know. But anyway, thank you so much and stay well. Thank you for all the insight that, that you've shared. Um, and, you know, we'll get through whatever it is we're going through. We are. Um, you know, we are. it's like you grow through what you go through. And yeah. that's really it. I've grown through this experience of COVID and I'm growing every single day. Yeah. There's a lot of cool stuff happening too. You know, there's always opportunities and people's creativity is really sort of, and humanity has been, you know, I think kind of keeps me energized and going because every day is a roller coaster. It is. It is. But anyway, thank you, Divya, and stay well. Thank you. You too. For Divya, it's a matter of determination. No matter how many times you've successfully launched, scaled, and exited, startups are hard work. If you're not passionate and willing to do whatever it takes to succeed, entrepreneurship might not be for you. Divya is an overachiever's overachiever. She's one of the hardest working founders I've ever met. Sure, she has an Ivy League education with an MBA from Harvard, but she shows up every day and puts in the work. And then some. Even with a very busy schedule and a full-time schedule as mom, she finds time to give back mentoring young entrepreneurs. Wander Beauty has built a brand that tapped into women's desire for simplicity, delivering clean, hybrid, multitasking formulas. But the success has come from nurturing their community while crunching data and managing cash. And by building a team that is equally committed to the mission. So in the end, it's a matter of determination. I'm Kelly Kovac. See you next time. Hi, I'm Divya Gugnani, and what matters to me is determination. It's all about setting your sights on what you want to get done, working very hard, taking care of yourself along the way, and achieving what you're set out to do. It's a Matter Of is a production of Beauty Matter LLC, copyright 2020. You can find more content and insights on beautymatter.com and follow us on social media at beautymatterofficial. This is Mouth Media Network, the business of being heard.